Welcome to the Teachers Who Quit podcast, the number one podcast for teachers who quit or really want to. And I'm your host, Tierney, your ex-teacher bestie. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the show, Patrice. I'm so excited to have you on the Teachers Who Quit podcast. And to kick us off, I'd love it if you just give us a little introduction to who you are and what you do. Thank you so much for having me. So my name is Patrice Isaac, and I am a former teacher. I taught for about nine years as a career and technology teacher. Um, I taught grades six through 12, and I was ready to take a leap in 2020, and I started a new career in instructional design. So I am now an instructional designer, um, and I've been doing that since last March 2021. So this I'm going into my second year, and I love it. <laughs> Love that. And we're definitely going to dive deep into that so we can get all the information on how you made that transition. But let's go ahead and take it back to the beginning of your journey in education. OK, so you mentioned you're a you were a career tech teacher for K through 12. I would love to know what was that initial spark that inspired you to even want to become a teacher in the first place? Okay, so let's start from the beginning. Initially, um, when I was, I wanted to be a math teacher. Okay, let's start there. So yeah, I always wanted to be a teacher. I went to school uh, to be a high school math teacher. I majored in math. It was pretty hard, so we had to pivot. (laughs) And I changed my major over to business administration. So I furthered, you know, my business studies got my MBA, and then uh, I actually went through alternative certification to be a teacher. Um, And I'm in South Carolina, and that's called the PACE program. And so um, I was certified to teach like business courses and technology courses. In South Carolina, it's called uh, career and technology. So um, I always wanted to be a teacher, started off wanting to do math, but ended off uh, being a business and technology teacher. And I have so much background in technology. I thought I was signing up to teach like um, keyboarding and like business classes, but little did I know I was teaching web design, Photoshop, coding. Um, Yeah. And so a lot of my background technical skills came from actually teaching in the classroom. Wow. That is really awesome. And I love hearing how, um, you even were able to teach all those unique things to the students because I definitely can't think of any schools that I've worked at over the years that offer like coding and web design, Photoshop. Those are awesome um, skills to be able to introduce students to and like spark their creativity and open up a whole new world. So loving to hear that. And so you mentioned that you taught um, K through 12. Did you have a preference on what grade levels you love working with the most? Yeah, so I I never had experience in like early childhood. I did 6th through 12th with my certification. I could have did early childhood or elementary. Middle school was not for me at all. I did three years in middle school. When my first year in middle school, someone said either you love it or hate it. And I was on the hated side. Um, so my passion was always high school, particularly my seniors. Um, I always was very passionate about helping them get to graduation, helping them fill out college applications and their senior projects. So um, high school definitely was my thing. 
for sure. Wow. And that's one realm that I have not, you know, delved into. Um, my campus right now where I'm leading is K through 12. So, you know, if we've had shortages with um, like subs and maybe like a teacher without for the day, I've had the opportunity to be like a 12th grade teacher for the day. But other than that, my realm was you know, stopping at those middle school grades, I was a really an elementary, upper elementary girl at heart. So those, that's where I love the most. So completely different opposite <laughs> side of the spectrum there. So I would love to know too, because you said that you spent about three years in middle school. So right. how long um, was your teaching journey as a whole? So I was in the classroom nine years. So I left in my ninth year. So I didn't finish it because I left in February, but I did three years uh, at three different schools, three different school districts. So I taught at some of the, the elites with the best resources and tools and some of, you know, lower class areas. So I saw the best and I saw the worst. So it was definitely an experience to teach at those three different places for three years. And that's a pretty good time to really go through groups of students to really say, do I like it or not? Or what I like and what I don't like. 100%. That definitely gives you a well-rounded picture and being able to like laser focus on where is your area of um, preference. And so would love it if you would um, paint the picture a little bit as to what was your typical day like at your school? What were you feeling? And then we'll go ahead and, you know, eventually get into, okay, what made you pull the plug, so to speak. So paint the picture for us, what it was like, you know, culture, climate, overall feelings from your perspective on what it was like um, teaching in these different schools. Okay, so I'm going to go start with um, where it was a very privileged area school. So one thing I can say that I always had the tools and resources I need. That is something that I loved. Um, anything extra, parents were very hands-on. Um, I'm talking about catered breakfast. I'm talking about school supplies loaded down. Anything volunteer, right? But um, it wasn't doing it for me because I felt like I was missing the mentorship during that time because most of the students did not look like me. Let's go there. And, you know, they they didn't need that extra, um, you know, push that teachers tend to give students. So that, that was kind of a con in that area. Yes, I had everything that I could ever want as a classroom teacher. Like, I honestly still have dry erase markers from then because, I mean, I had an abundance of things. Um, and then I taught in two other districts where they wasn't the best of the best. One of the districts was my home district, uh, my alma mater. So that was actually the last job that I had. So it was very, very, very personal for me to leave because that was the high school that I graduated from. So um, now that one, it felt, it felt like home. And I told my husband, I said, 
this will be the last teaching job. If I can't make it here, then I don't want to teach nowhere else. This is home for me. And it, it ended up being my last te teaching job, but it felt like home. Most of the students I knew, I either knew their parents, grandparents, um, and I knew I was making a difference. Now, on the flip side, I also know the community, the good and the bad, and changes are needed. Um, changes are needed in the community and people are not willing to do the change, whether that's, you know, in the schoolhouse, in the district, or as, you know, parents themselves, where it, it just was outweighing the, I can, I can contribute to society. I can do good. I can help these kids, but everyone else needs to help too. It can't just be me, you know, for one, they're not technically my kids, but <laughs> everyone else needs to chip in as well. Like, I can't fight with parents. I can't fight with admin. I can't fight with district officials to give me the things that I need to do my job. And that was kind of that situation. It was a constant battle to have the tools and resources I needed to do my job, to get parent support, to get administrative support. It, it was a constant battle on top of everyday life in the classroom. You know, you know, that's just how it is. Right. Um, <laughs> then the third school, I felt like was a great, happy medium. Honestly, it was my first teaching job. Um, and I left that situation because it was just a life change. I was going through life changes and I just needed a change of scenery. So um, it was and I actually taught at a career center. So if you're not familiar with that is um, we service like all of the schools in the district. And they will be bused, um, bused to us. So we didn't have like lunch duty or morning duty. So all of those extra <laughs> administrative things we didn't have. So I guess that's why I loved it so much. And all I literally, literally had to do was teach, show up and teach, show up and teach. Um, that one was good. And I think because it was a mix of everyone from the school district. But like I said, I had, you know, life changes and I, you know, had to find a new job. And then that's when I went on the journey of the other two schools. So that's kind of my take um, on the three schools that I worked at, the good and the bad. So good. Thank you for providing that context. That definitely paints a picture for me. I'm already envisioning so much as you were talking through and I'm sure the listeners were as well. So let's go ahead and talk about what was your pivot point? When did you know for the very first time that thought came into your mind? I think about, I'm thinking about quitting. When was that and what triggered it? Okay, so honestly, it's, it's gonna be two moments. Okay, so I taught for nine years, but I honestly would say about year five, I was looking for a pivot, not necessarily out of education, but out of the classroom. So I was looking for other like I didn't want to go into leadership. I knew that. I knew I did not want to go into admin. I That's just me. Even in corporate, I don't want to be a manager. That's just me. I like to do my job. Um, so I didn't want to go into admin. So I was looking at other like uh, initially I wanted to do like technology coaching because I always helped my other teachers with technology. Oh, you can use this to do a lesson. I was good at technology. But those jobs, of course, came far and few and had their picks. Um, we're going to say that. <laughs> so 
I, you know, just kind of chugged along, chugged along, you know, and kept teaching. And then finally the real pivot and was like, yeah, I got to go was definitely um, pandemic time. Pandemic time was it, it just with the situation itself, it allowed me to see that, you know, life is too short to be unhappy. Um, yes, I have to, you know, earn a living, but I should be happy doing it. I shouldn't feel this way. Um, I shouldn't be unhealthy because of a job. And <clears throat> that's where I was at. Um, the year 2019, going into the pandemic, was definitely a rough school year. Like, I remember literally that weekend in March when things were kind of, you know, going where they were going, we were on um, a trip. I was an advisor. So we were on an out-of-town trip. So it was already a lot going on. And we got back on a Sunday and um, the governor was like, yeah, schools are closed for the rest of the month. At that time, we didn't know what it was going to be, but I just felt such a relief because I was so tired and drained. And it was only March. It was only March. And it was, I had so, I mean, it was so many things that had happened that school year, like a lot. And this was before pandemic. And 2019, it was like, yeah, I, I can't keep doing this. I cannot keep doing this. And when the pandemic happened, uh, we were home virtually for about six months. Loved it. Loved it. Like I could teach from home. I can do this. <laughs> but when we had to go back um, like that following school year and go face to face and do all the extra tasks included, I said, yeah, this is not going to work. Um, I can't keep doing this. And I knew at the time that there, there were other opportunities, but I kept, you know, just being scared, like, well, nah, I'm not ready. I'm not good enough. I'm not going to apply. I'm not going to do this. But I just told myself, no, we're, we're not going to keep doing this. I know I have the skills. I know I'm talented. I know I'm smart. I see there's jobs out there. I'm going to go for it. And that's what happened. I really was just, I'm going to say it, I was fed up. I was fed up and I chose to put me first. And I bet on myself and I put myself in a better position. Loving that. Okay. So you mentioned in 2019, there was a lot going on at the school and you said a lot. Can you share a few things of what was exactly was happening? Cause you definitely piqued my uh, curiosity there. What was going on? A lot. Um, I taught high school. So there was a lot of, um, incidents. So there was students that were getting arrested. Um, someone brought a gun to school. Um, there were fights. There were so many troubled students. Um, so much violence. It was just a lot. Like things that I shouldn't have to deal with as a teacher, you know, um, where I shouldn't have to um, be, first of all, putting my hands on anybody to break up a fight. That That is an absolute no-no for me. And that was happening and I was not getting the support. Like, hey, these kids are fighting. Someone needs to help me, okay? Or someone is threatening me or cursing at me and they're sit, they're being sent right back to my class. So I'm feeling very uncomfortable. I can't really teach because I'm, I'm not gonna say I'm scared, but I'm uncomfortable. I have a student who clearly doesn't like me, okay? Clearly needs help. And they're sitting in here like, it was too much, and I didn't want to wake up every morning just dreading going to class, um, dealing with these certain 
classes that we know are just sometimes the turn up class <laughs> every day. Um, so that, that, that was the, a lot going on. It was a lot of behavior issues going on in the school that was not being addressed. Students were not being held accountable. Yeah, accountability is big. And, you know, I'm all about um, holding students accountable, especially when we've made expectations super clear. And um, definitely not just prioritizing the needs of students, but prioritizing the needs of your staff as well. Because what do you have if you don't have staff? You don't really have anything there, right? Um, so definitely hearing you talk about how you a little bit felt like your safety, you know, was not being valued or protected. And, and that's definitely problematic. Um, and that's a shame that anyone would have to feel that way and aren't getting the proper supports from their leadership team. Um, so with that, so you mentioned five years in is when you had that initial, you know, inkling of, um, I don't think, you know, I'm maybe ready to make a pivot elsewhere. Not really sure what that might look like exactly, but you knew it was time. I resonate with that. <laughs> to be honest, uh, I want to say like probably my third year, I was like, it's time to get out of here. <laughs> it's time to get out. It's time to get out. I know there's so many other things I can do. And at that point, to be honest with you, I, you know, had been asked by my principal at that time to mentor a first year teacher coming in because I was getting pushed up to fourth grade, which I asked to because I really loved my group of students at that time. So I asked to loop from third to fourth. And she allowed me to do that. And so as they were bringing in someone to fill my seat in third, they were like, oh, okay, she's a first year teacher. She has no experience. You were just there. You know, you're in your third year now. You can mentor her, guide her, you know, give her kind of the ropes and what to do to be successful. And I really love that. I really love, you know, helping the other teacher. And so, you know, I was already doing it like we were talking about before we hit record. I was already kind of doing that in my YouTube videos and just sharing what I could share. And that was, um, you know, supporting different teachers. And I was just like, oh, I really just love supporting teachers so much. And so I definitely at that year three was like looking at that point for a way out. Now, it was so funny because on LinkedIn, there was a person who sent me a message and they were like, hey, uh, and they were in the East Coast, this chain of schools. And they were like, hey, um, I'm looking at your you know, credentials here on your resume. You'd be really good for a dean of culture. And I said, what is that? Like, I didn't know what that was, had never heard of it in my life. And as I was reading through the application, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is me. Because it was that person who was responsible for supporting the entire staff with classroom management, classroom culture, and really setting that as a school-wide approach. And I'm like, this is me. I'm like, one, I get to help teachers. One, I get to talk about classroom management. I love doing that anyway. So, hey, I'm doing it, you know, every week on a YouTube channel. Why not? That's, wait, people get paid to do that. <laughs> Sign me up immediately. Um, but I didn't want to move to the East Coast. I didn't want to move to the East Coast. So 
years later, finally got that opportunity to be a dean. And uh, I did quit that too. It's another story. That That's another story. <laughs> but anywho, I, I definitely know what you mean about uh, feeling that initial, like, okay, it's time to pivot elsewhere. So, okay, it's 2020 and y'all have gone virtual. You're loving the virtual. And then they're saying, hey, come on in person. So talk me through a little bit of what was going on in your mind, because I can imagine this was probably an email, maybe staff, your leadership getting ready to call staff into a meeting. Hey, this is what the rollout is going to look like for coming in person, X, Y, and Z. But the initial thought that you had when you were like, oh, gosh, they're about to bring us back in was what? Like, I'm out or what? <laughs> <laughs> so honestly, um. We're going to take it back. When that conversation was being had over the summer, I was like, yeah, I got to go. Let me figure this out right now. So I was honestly, honestly looking for an exit plan because I didn't want to come back uh, after that December. Um, I, I was ready to break the contract. I was That's where I was at. Like If I had to go back because I didn't find nothing by um, the start of the school year in August, um, then I would go back, but I would be aggressively still looking. But I mean, summer came, didn't really do what I needed to do. And then I got that <laughs> full wake up call when I went back in the classroom and was like, oh yeah, nah, I'm I'm good. Let me go ahead and put the pedal to the metal and get myself out of this situation. All right, so what is the exit plan looking like? It's time to put the pedal to the metal Step one is what? Step one, I always tell people this. If you feel like you are ready to leave step one, you have to make that decision. You have to decide, are you really going to do this? Because like me and you both said, we knew years before we transitioned that, hey, something, this is not going to give. But when will be the year? <laughs> when will it be your time? So for step one, definitely put a deadline. If you're fine with saying, I'm not going back this time or this time, whatever your deadline is, just make sure you're confident in it. Start there to say, I'm not going back. Um, but to actually like transition out to, to get into instructional design, um, I always tell people as teachers, I don't know why we're kind of sheltered in uh, how we look for jobs. Um, I know here in South Carolina, uh, I think there's like one application system that you can just put your application on and all the schools can find you. But in corporate, it's very different. You're you're competing against people worldwide. And um, the first thing is to do is to start getting connected, get on LinkedIn. If you're not on LinkedIn in 2022, LinkedIn is the place to go. But connect with other people outside of education. See what you actually might want to do. You might not want to do instructional design, but see what's out there. So make a decision and actually see what else is out there. Simple two-step approach to an exit plan, okay? Set your date, get on LinkedIn, and start exploring. Yes, that is easy to execute. Really no excuses. I mean, simplified two-step approach, go. Now, I want to know, when you said, I'm out, okay, what did that process look like? 
when you had to inform your principal, your leadership team, and inform the district. And what did that whole process look like? Did you have to write that formal resignation letter? Take us through that. All right. So um, I did write a formal resignation letter that I sent to my immediate supervisor, which as a teacher would be your principal, um, because that is just how we did it where I was employed. And then um, from there, you know, the principal would take it to the district level and so forth. Um, my principal actually was super excited for me. Um, so yes, it was a great experience. And um, she was excited and she did everything she needed to do to make sure I had a smooth transition. So shout out to my um, ex-principal. Um, now, the next step was, um, you know, the district contacted me and because it was in the middle of the school year, it was going to be a breach of my contract, which I thoroughly understood um, when I submitted the letter of resignation. And I definitely um, had to tussle with my school district on letting me out. Um, they didn't want to let me out. If I chose to still leave, they would um, suspend my teaching license and um, all of that extra, extra stuff. And ultimately, that's what happened. Um, I was okay with that. And it, and it wasn't, they didn't handle it the best. My school district, not my principal. My principal did what she needed to do. My district, I felt like didn't handle it the best, um, where I was fine with taking that hit because I had a better opportunity that for me was very life-changing. So I had to take the leap and take my opportunity that was presented to me, which was my new career and my new job and be okay with my teaching license getting um, suspended for a year. Um, but ultimately it did. I didn't, I could have um, like, fight it, but I, I chose not to. Um, after a year, which we're on a year mark, I could reapply to get it back. Um, I don't think I am, but it was definitely a tussle with the whole contract situation, um, but it worked out for me. I knew what I was getting myself into when I wrote that resignation letter, and I wasn't looking back. I didn't burn any bridges. I just crossed over them, and so I've crossed over into a, a better situation and a better opportunity, so I don't regret it at all. Didn't burn any bridges, just crossed over some. Loving that. That's bars right there, Mike. Drop immediately. Put that on a t-shirt. Now, you said that you wrote your formal resignation letter, submitted that to your immediate supervisor. The supervisor then took it to the district, and the ball, you know, was in motion at that point. I'm very curious if, was it a shocker? to your principal when they got the resignation letter or have you kind of primed them hey this is how i'm feeling i'm probably considering these other options don't be alarmed i don't think it was a shocker um <clears throat> because my principal knew how valuable i was as a person and uh she knew you know i I could do other things. So I don't think it was a shocker. When I told her what I would be doing, she was just like, oh, that is great. You'll be great at that. Um, so not a shocker, because I guess she knew that, hey, <laughs> you're valuable. So you might get snatched up by somebody. And that's what happened. Um, but I don't think before then, you know, I still showed up to work before, you know, I actually 
had the offer and the resignation and tried my best. So it wasn't like, oh, no, I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit. I never, you know, announced anything like that. I still absolutely showed up until the very, very last day. And I actually pushed my start date for my new job to make sure I left my students in a good place because we all know it's hard to get a teacher in the classroom. So I gave them, instead of a two-week notice, I gave them about six weeks to finish getting students together. I think it was like ending around the quarter or something. So I did my due diligence and, you know, principal was happy and life went on. <laughs> so you really went above and beyond because, yeah, you could have literally just given that two weeks. But, you know, that just shows like, and to be honest, y'all, teachers don't go into education to quit. Um, my mom always would say that. People don't get married to get a divorce, you know? It happens, but, you know, people aren't like, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, marrying this person to get a divorce. Same thing is with teaching. Like, people aren't going into teaching to quit. Yes, you have the anomaly situations and, you know, I didn't teach for America, and a lot of people were like, ah, two years and you're out. No, boo-boo, I'm still here in this work, you know, years later, almost about to make a decade, so please, you know, don't even try that. But, you know, there are some. I understand that. There are some teachers who do go into it because they're, oh my gosh. Okay, so here in Texas, there's this annoying billboard. I hate it so much. They can sponsor the podcast if they want to, but um, they probably won't after this. It's an alternative certification program, which you had mentioned talking about earlier in South Carolina. So in Texas, we have one, and it says, <clears throat> want to teach? When can you start? Like, they make it just so easy. I'm like, do you have one? Want to be a doctor? When can you start? Like, don't even, like, simplify, try to water down. The profession because teaching will eat up a lot of these professions if y'all only knew but half of y'all on here you know don't really know what it's like to sit in our seat but have a lot of things to say especially on tiktok you know i've had to block several people on that app because they are bold and have the audacity but i do too so <laughs> you know with that there are some people who might just go into it, oh, I'm just do it for this little brief transitional period in my life or whatever. And there's the ones who kind of run out of there really quickly because they didn't realize the extent and what really goes into being an excellent teacher who wants to do what's best for kids. It's a lot of work. Um, but, you know, people don't really go into it with that mentality. So that just shows, again, your commitment to the kids was there from beginning to end because you gave them six weeks you didn't have to do that i really would like to um know how did you originally even find out about instructional design how did you learn about that opportunity okay so we're going to back up in about like the fifth year i was teaching and i wanted to be a technology coach right so i actually um went uh, and got a certificate in instructional design and technology because it was supposed to lead to a technology coach in the K-12 setting. Like I said, those positions were far a few back then, not sure if they're far a few now. And so um, that particular certification introduced me to a lot of different um, careers 
outside of education. But I was so gung ho on no, I want to be a technology coach in the class, in this in the district. I want to be a technology coach, right? Um, so that was the first time I discovered instructional design, um, give or take. Um, and then, like I said, when the years went by and my back was against the wall, I'm like, okay, let me look back into this and let me get serious about it. Let me get serious about it. Cause I, I knew what it was. Um, I just wasn't, you know, putting the dots together, like, you know, putting the pedal to the metal, actually putting in the work to transition um, out the classroom. And then that's, I think that's one thing a lot of um, people don't realize that there is opportunity out the classroom, but there is a transition um, period that may require you to, you know, do a couple of things. Um, but don't let that stop you because it is doable. I did it. You can do it too. <laughs> So that's that's kind of the background on the instructional design. It was just kind of sitting in my background. And when I needed to get out, I went and researched and got on LinkedIn. And I'm like, oh, these are the jobs that I can get. Let me whip it together. Let me get it together. I really looked at um, the companies that were hiring, what I needed to do, um, did some like professional online courses to really get into it. Um, build a portfolio. That was one of the biggest things um, to get into that industry is showcasing your skills and work. I tell teachers all the time, you have skills, showcase them. Um, and then really just um, transitioning myself to go into corporate, getting my resume built for corporate, um, interviewing myself for corporate. So really taking the teacher out of me and transitioning into the instructional designer, the professional. And, it, and, and it's a transition that you have to learn that you have to leave the teacher over here if we want to go on the other side, because it's two different worlds. 100% um, that mindset shift is important. And you know, you don't have to put that teacher um, like in the trash, okay, people? That's not what she's saying. She's saying reframe that teacher to fit the corporate okay and this is now don't do it if you don't want a job but if you want one listen to what she's saying right especially if, if you're listening to this and you know instructional design is where i want to go listen to someone who's already in the seat who has been where you are and has successfully made it there okay so she's saying you have to reframe what you have to fit where you're headed, okay? Now, you talked about doing some certificates and then you talked about doing some courses. Tell us a little bit about like, where did you find those? Were those online? Um, like, how did you stumble across those specific, um, I guess, ways to build up your expertise and knowledge in that area? Yeah, so a lot of these, um, a great place is LinkedIn Learning. Um, once again, back to LinkedIn. LinkedIn Learning has so many online courses, tools, and resources. Um, another place uh, with instructional design is kind of software heavy. So another place to look for, um, one of the softwares that is huge in the industry is Articulate. The website Articulate, um, if you sign up for a trial, has webinars every single day, has on-demand trainings every single day. 
Um, so there's resources out there, but LinkedIn learning for the win for sure. Um, have technical writing courses, instructional design courses, PowerPoint courses, um, all types of different software courses you can learn. And it's, it's a very reputable site. Um, so I definitely suggest um, just to take a dive in LinkedIn learning for sure. Okay, now with LinkedIn learning, Patrice, do you need to have the premium or paid version of LinkedIn? Yes, you actually do need to have the premium LinkedIn premium version. Yes. Now, I heard it through the grapevine. I haven't researched it yet, but I've heard that if you have a um, like a public library card, it's available um, with your library subscription. So if you have a public library card, reach out to your public library and see if that's something um, that they offer. I would start that. I haven't started. Uh, I didn't reach out yet, but I've heard that from several people. So um, I think LinkedIn Premium might be $29.99 a month for those who are interested. But I would definitely look out to look out to my public library to see if they offer that. That's very good to know. Okay, so we're getting on LinkedIn Learning, everyone. We're going to go ahead and pay the $29.99 subscription. And the reason why is because when you get this job, you will be making that 400 times over. Okay, so we have to think about what do we need to put in now? What do we need to invest now to get that return on investment? Twofold, threefold. Absolutely, right? absolutely. So. You either invest time or money to get to where you need to go. Um, you can invest time if you have the time. If you don't have the time and you're ready to get going, then you probably will have to invest some money to get taught faster. So I definitely agree. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. That's something that I've definitely learned as I've um, moved into entrepreneurship. There's a lot of people who can expedite, okay, your process, or you can stroll your way through the trenches. You will probably, you, you could easily end up at the same spot, right, as Sarah, who chose to, you know, invest in a credible coach program, etc. But baby, who has time we don't so you know go on and invest what you need to to get that return on investment trust and believe every time i've invested in myself i've gotten it just think about it from your degrees to you know me like i was um saying before we started the call i did my principal certification that was a pretty penny but i'm here and it got me to where i needed to be um, the salary that I have now has taken care of that. So, you know, you got to put it put in the work. So with that, I would love to know what does a typical day in the life, because we know you post those on TikTok and like I was saying, keep doing those. But what does a typical day in the life look for you, look like for you, Patrice, as an instructional designer? Um, so a day in the life, it, it varies every single day. And thank you for watching my TikToks. <laughs> um, so as an instructional designer, uh, we're project based. So I work on projects. I'm not hourly. I'm a salary employee for my company. Um, I'm going to just do a quick rundown for the week. So typically Mondays in my company is meeting Mondays. So I'll have maybe two to three meetings on Monday. Um, great thing. We don't have meetings before 10 o'clock. We're all over the world. So 11 o'clock is typically our meeting time. So that's great for Monday. Um, 
Tuesday, I probably will have a couple of meetings. And if I'm not in a meeting, I am working freely. So if I have uh, some editing to do, I might want to do it in the afternoon. I might want to do it before my meeting. Um, but meetings probably about at the most two to three hours a day. And that's normally only Mondays, Tuesdays, sometimes Wednesdays. Thursdays and Fridays, my schedule is pretty open, meaning I can work freely. We do have normal, typical office hours like eight to six, but you just choose um, your workday in between those hours. So if I'm not in a meeting with either um, our department, my manager, we meet bi-weekly just to kind of talk about projects or if I have questions or need any help. So that was kind of a, a huge, huge thing. Like, I don't see my boss every day. Like, we talk twice a month. Um, if I need to reach out more, I can. But we are so non-micromanaged. It is it's love, right? Um, so my day-to-day, you guys, I typically, uh, I'm on the computer. I don't sit here eight hours a day. I get that question a lot. Do you just sit at the computers eight, eight hours a day? No, I do not because I can take a break whenever I feel like it. I can go to the bathroom when I feel like it. I can eat lunch without anyone asking for some of my food. <laughs> I can do all of those things that I really always wanted to do. And I think that was kind of where I was at. I wanted flexibility in my schedule. And we know as teachers, you don't have a flexible schedule. So as an instructional designer, we're project-based. As long as you keep track of your projects, you are on top of your due dates. Schedule is pretty flexible. So throughout the day, I may have a meeting, a team meeting, working on my computer. I will sometimes work from my bed. I will sometimes work from my couch, just depending on my mood for the day. So super duper flexible. And if I have to run an errand, I do it. Um, company is all about yourself first. Nothing is more important than you. So the company culture is where it's at. Like, culture matters. And for someone to say, hey, put yourself first, the work can wait. It was magical. It was magical. Truly, I'm in awe. <laughs> because like you said, the micromanaging is a lot within education. Um, I definitely do think that it plays a role in who is your leadership, right? If you're a leader, I'll take myself for example, right? As I'm making hiring decisions with the other people of my leadership team, why would I hire someone that I feel like I'm gonna have to micromanage, I'm gonna have to handhold, I'm gonna have to do this and that. I wanna hire somebody who has proven, hey, I can meet deadlines, I can get this done, you don't need a check on me. And you can be trusted to accomplish the work that you are hired to do. Does that happen with every adult? No. Let me go on and tell you a little bit about this podcast. So you know how I sent you a few of those um, emails? We don't even leave this in the recording. I sent you a few of the emails. I said, hey, this is what you can expect. You, the guest release, you can expect... Um, Two more emails coming down the pipeline within the next 48 hours. Both of those emails had things for you to do, whether it was, hey, go ahead after signing this guest release, you need to look at the podcast prep guide, or it said, hey, I need for you to submit your bio, headshot, blah, blah, blah. If you only knew how many times people did not do those things 
Like, why am I hounding you to um, submit, you know, your bio, your headshot, your, your this, that? Why am I hounding you to do that when I clearly stated it up front? It speaks volumes because let me tell you, this lady that is you're all listening to right now, everything was done. I didn't have to sweat, not one thing. I did not have to send not one reminder email. It was done. That doesn't happen. So I'm learning that, yes, it's beautiful to not have to be micromanaged, but some folks bring that up on themselves when they don't get stuff done so listen if you want to be a successful instructional designer you really have to be proactive in getting things done because nobody's about to babysit you You hear that she's meeting with her manager twice a month okay because the manager hired her to do the work so if you know you're somebody who is just scattered all the time and can't please Go on and find another job, baby, because that's, this is not going to be the move for you at all. Am I wrong, Patrice? You tell me. What does it take? What are the core competencies it takes to be a successful instructional designer? You're absolutely correct. And as you was telling that story, I'm like, hold on. I think I did everything I was supposed to do. So I did. <laughs> but absolutely. And that could be because I'm project-based. So I have a deadline and I'm just expected to meet it. If I don't meet it, then um, I'm going to have to answer some questions and I'm given enough time to do what I need to do. But if I am not able to, then I'm expected to speak up. Hey, I need more time or hey, it's going to be a couple of days late or whatever. So um, great that you point that out because nobody is going to be checking for you. And I really had to get used to that um, transition. Uh, my, I used to always say, hey, I have to run and do this. And my manager was like, hey, you don't got to tell me all of that. Just just do it. You're, you're an adult, okay? Literally, that was a conversation. So I had to chill out with, um, you know, saying, hey, I got to do this. I got to do this. When you do your work, we'll see that you're good. We'll see that you can handle taking a break and, you know, taking two hours to go to the doctor. We'll see that. Like, okay, that's nothing. But honestly, time management is a big one. Organization. Now, I will admit I'm not the best person um, with file management organization, but just being organized because, once again, um, in my company, I'm called an individual contributor. So uh, everyone kind of contributes to the project, but you are allotted for this amount of work, these amount of billable hours. So you're expected to contribute your part of the work. Nobody is going to go behind you. If I don't contribute my part, then there's going to be other parts that can't be completed. So that affects everyone else's job. But being organized, being um, task driven. So if there's a task that needs to be done, make sure it gets done by the due date. So project management is a big one in instructional design. Um, I act as my own project manager and I use a, um, a tracker. It's a tool that we use, but you do have to keep up because there are so many moving parts, so many um, different hands that are in the project. So you do have to keep track. So yes, when someone assigns you a task and a due date, that is something you need to be able to do. If you're a person that can't turn stuff in on time, then yeah, 
um, instructional, corporate instructional design may not be for you <laughs> because you're given the freedom to work on your pace because you're treated like an adult. Nobody is going to say, and just for reference, a project that I work on typically can take me six to eight weeks. Okay. So during this time, yes, there are check-ins here and there, but um, that's a long time to not have someone check on you, <laughs> uh, to, to lose track. Um, but it's, it's more than enough time to get lost, to get lost in the sauce, but you have to stay on track and be task driven to make sure your tasks are complete. You can check it off and move on. So yes, if you're not organized, you don't want to get tasks done. You're not on time. This may not be it for you. <laughs> Gone and pass. <laughs> That's not your ministry. Okay. So we need clear communication. We need organization. We need time management. You need to be task driven. You hear that? So if that's ringing a bell, if that's you, come on. But if it's not you, you know, there's other opportunities for you. This may not be the one. All right. We got multiple other podcast episodes for you to listen to. Check those out. Okay. So you're working from home 100%? Yes, I was hired um, 100% remote. Um, my company initially it was not, um, but I was hired in 2021. 20, yes, last year. So, you know, it was a lot of things up in the air with the world. Um, but now our company is full 100% remote. So lucky us, nobody is forced to go back into the building. So yes, I am remote and I love it. I love remote life. It is amazing. Like you could never drag me back in. That's why I'm like, you know, should anything happen to this virtual school I'm at? Hey, that's that's the end of the road right here, baby. It stops like full time, one hundred percent entrepreneur. Cause I'm not, I'm not going into nobody's office. I don't want to do that. I don't want to go into nobody's school. I'm good. I love working virtual. I love remote. It might be the preferred introvert in me. I don't know, but I just love this right here. It's just such a beautiful thing. Such a beautiful thing. It is ask, um, a lot of times about summer is off and it doesn't compare like I don't know summers is what eight weeks I think as a teacher I don't it, it wasn't enough to deal what you have to deal with for 190 days I'll just go work year round and just feel free every single day working from home <laughs> that is a common question 100 percent free okay not one, um, uh, you know, ounce of that mist at all. And yes, I know a lot of people are held captive by that. Oh, we get summers off. I don't want to give up my summers off. But you get peace of mind. Huh. You get freedom. Hello. You don't have to be micromanaged. Hello. So just saying. Definitely worth it. That's, again, that uh, ROI that you get by the investment you put up up front. Give, some, give your little summer up because you know that your whole year is going to be peace and bliss. Hmm. Now, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about um, <clears throat> your tools to help others pivot to become an instructional designer. So I know you have some things that can really support other teachers out there who are like hey it's 2022 i don't plan on coming back to this classroom 
I've heard you share, hey, I need my exit plan. That means I need to set my date and I need to go ahead and get on LinkedIn. But what do we do once we do that? You know, tell us a little bit more about um, what you have to offer and the ways that you support other teachers who are trying to get started in instructional design. Okay, sure. So um, I actually uh, started this journey and along the way, I created first a workbook. And the workbook basically is helping you get an action plan out of the classroom. And then the workbook evolved to my baby, Teacher to ID, which is an online course that basically outlines step-by-step how I got from teacher (laughs) to an instructional designer, which we call ID. And I've been doing a lot of consultations for uh, teachers that, you know, just need that conversation. Hey, what do I do now? What steps do I take? How do I interview? What do I do for my LinkedIn? Um, What do I put in a portfolio? I mentioned having a portfolio before. Um, And so Teacher's ID has all of those things. Um, How do you set up a portfolio? How do you um, update your resume? How do you get on LinkedIn? What do you put on LinkedIn? How to be prepared for interviews. And it's so good because you are walked through from getting started, getting the right tools. She sets you up with the software, portfolio tools. You get to learn how to build that portfolio, which she mentioned earlier was critical into allowing her, you know, to step in and make that transition, that reframe from teacher into corporate. Um, she has an opportunity for you to learn about resume building, interview prep, and then she also has a bonus, okay, for after the interview. So really, this is a very um, valuable resource that you can use. And correct me if I'm wrong, but the Teacher to ID, you get lifetime access. Absolutely. And it's on demand. So on demand means you can access it anytime you would like. So you can always go back and refer to it. And you know, her course is fire because she's a whole instructional designer. Like she does. This is what she does. So you already know you're going to receive great value from this. Okay. So that's going to be linked below in the show notes, everyone. So go ahead and check that out amongst other resources. So you heard Patrice talk about she has a interactive workbook for you to create your action plan out of the classroom. So you can go ahead and, you know, start with that too. And um, she even has some great resources, like just a free course on learning how to get into started in instructional design. So with all these combined from the workbook to the free course to the teacher to ID um, course program, I mean, you're going to be set up for success. Definitely check that out if you know, hey, this has really piqued my interest and I'm interested in instructional design. Now, Patrice, we have so many people who have connected with you after listening to this episode. Where can they connect with you further online? All right. So um, my biggest platform uh, with all of my advice to transition into instructional design and just learn, you know, a day in the life of what I do is on my TikTok account. Um, And then also I do have a YouTube channel where I do longer vlogs of working from home and 
some more of how I got started and how to create some things your on your portfolio. Yes, make sure you check her out. If you like our content, you're really going to love Patrice's content on TikTok as well. Really hones in specifically on instructional design. So definitely check that out. A lot of valuable um, info on her TikTok. And then check her YouTube out as well. And as she shared, she does consultations. So definitely, you know, if you want to invest, remember, time or money, which one? You know, definitely book a call with her, okay? Thank you so much, Patrice. This was amazing. Um, thank you for this conversation. So excited for everyone to listen. Thank you so much for having me. I really, really, really enjoyed coming today. Yay! Thank you for listening to the Teachers Who Quit podcast. Keep listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Subscribe and leave us a review to get a shout out on our socials. And remember to shamelessly choose you.